Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the Core Leadership Podcast, a voice to college men at the crossroads of faith and campus life. My name is Case Nasher, and I'm the Director of Communications for Bucks. Today, we've got a personal testimony from a brother, and more importantly, a father, who's experienced the miracle of God's healing in the life of his daughter. This beautiful story of God's work is not something that you're going to want to skim over, so be sure to focus in. Here is your host, Landon Robertson. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Core Leadership Podcast. So excited to bring on the guest for today, Bretton Schultz. He is an alumni member of the Ada chapter at Texas Tech, and we are so thrilled to hear his story today. Bretton, how are you, man? Great to have you on. Man, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, before we kind of dive into the main topic, we'd love to just hear a little bit about who you are, what you're up to currently, and your background. Absolutely. So um, I am living in Georgetown, Texas. Um, as you know, I went to school at Texas Tech, got involved with Bucks my freshman year, second semester while I was there. Live in Georgetown, work for Georgetown School District. I'm our career and technical education director, which is basically all the fun electives that kids can do in high school. Um, <laughs> I'm in charge of all those. So everything from cool. Building an airplane to learn how to work in a hospital, criminal justice, awesome. woodworking, all the fun stuff. I've got a family here in Georgetown. I've got my wife, Haley. I met her in college. She was in a uh, sister sorority, Raider Sisters for Christ. And then I've got two kiddos. Samson is eight in second grade and Scout is six in first grade. I've worked here in Georgetown for um, quite a while. I grew up in Round Rock. At some point, we... Um, decided going to Texas Tech was a good idea. Moved there, met my wife. Um, we've kind of been around Texas a little bit, but uh, ended up in Georgetown and plan on staying here. Love it here, and it's phenomenal. Awesome, awesome. Glad to hear. I've got a quick question based on that. Out of all the subjects you oversee, what's your favorite? Oh, man, rocketry by far. So we have kids, they get to uh, participate in a program where they build rockets. Um, and in their second year, their goal is to build a rocket completely from scratch on their own. Wow. Um, and the goal of the rock, the goal is to have it break the sound barrier. And then in year three, they build a rocket that's upwards of 16 feet long. They go to White Sands in Mexico and it actually breaks the Earth's atmosphere on launch. What? That's awesome. awesome. That's so yeah. awesome. I Man, <laughs> you, you were so. serious with all the fun electives there. That's so cool to hear. Absolutely. Well, you touched a little bit about Texas Tech. Uh, we'd love to just hear about your connection with Box while you were there and how you came to, came to know it and see it. Yeah, there were several people in my life, and I'd love to talk more about them later, that really poured into me. And there was always this, um, I'd heard about this um, fraternity that they were part of. And in my mind, um, a fraternity and what Bucks was were two very different things because I really didn't want to be a part of uh, what I thought a fraternity was, right? And mm -hmm. um, when I got to mm -hmm. Texas Tech, I, I looked into joining another organization, did it for about a week and realized it wasn't for me. Um, there were things they were doing that I didn't want to be a part of. And so I spent my first semester kind of going through some stuff, um, had some personal life challenges, had a breakup. 
um, of a girl that I dated through high school and things that were just kind of um, not going my way. And then a uh, friend of mine um, asked me if I was interested in going and doing Rush with him. And so I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool, right? We could go check it out together. So we went and went to the Rush events. And I realized that this group, um, Bucks, was the same group that I had heard from those guys in my life before. And so um, it was really neat to um, get to see that um, and then make that connection with them later on down the line. And general experience with Bucks. After that first year, I jumped in with both feet. Bucks became kind of just my solid core group of friends. I can remember, you know, whether it was poker playing on Tuesday nights, because we'd have chapter on Monday night, then we'd have some group on Wednesday nights. And it just seemed like every day was spent with guys that were in Bucks. And it just grew and grew. Uh, my junior year, I became the vice president of Bucks at Tech. And as any vice president knows, that included Island Party, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a that was a beast, but it was also really, really cool. Um, I was coming off the heels of Jordan Street back in his epic island party. And so I had um, tough shoes to fill, but it was a lot of fun. And I also learned that there was a whole lot more um, to being a VP than island party. Um, and it was really about kind of that administrative service side and working with president and um, trying to make that work. So sure. uh, with that, I helped out um, as a, I guess, like assistant pledge trainer, I guess. And then my senior year, um, I didn't have an officer position that second um, term and yeah, wrote it out to graduation. Awesome. Well, sounds like a eventful and fun packed journey, not only in Bucks as a member, but as a leader as well. Want to shout out the VPs that are listening um, at our chapters there. We're all awesome to hear there, Breton. Um, kind of want to move forward to the main subject of this episode. Um, a story of walking in faith through adversity um, that you've shared with me and would love for you to share with the audience on that journey. So I'm just going to open the floor to you and we'll love for you to just tell that story to the audience. All right. Um, so February 1st, 2018, uh, my wife and I were in our room. We had moved to Georgetown, Texas um, from College Station. We are not Aggies, so there's no whoop. Um, <laughs> but we decided that we need to make a move for our family to be closer to my family and also be able to um, look for jobs um, that would kind of have a little bit more upward mobility and some different values um, than what we were um, looking for whenever we were in college station. And so we had moved here, had great jobs, loved what we did, but honestly, our life was kind of, um, it was just pretty simple and mundane. And I remember February 1st, 2018, we got woken up to our daughter uh, crying on the baby monitor, right? She was about one and a half at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, we had kind of got to the point where we wouldn't go in there until she stopped crying, right? And we wanted to try to do the training of getting her to um, get accustomed to like crying, didn't get yeah. to get to church. So we went into the room and um, my wife went in to get her and she, uh, she just didn't, she was cool to the touch. She was sweaty. Um, she had lots of uh, mucus and just didn't, she wasn't herself. So Haley gets her and mm-hmm. runs her into, um, our bedroom. And she said, Hey, something's wrong with Scott. And I said, well, put her in the bathtub, see if that helps her out. Right. So, um, like any dad says, like the most illogical thing. So we put her in the bathtub, <laughs> some cool water and, um, nothing was changing. She was alert, like she was alive and she, her eyes were open, but she was unresponsive. Um, so we got her out. Haley said, I'm taking her to the hospital. You can go with me or not. Um, and so we got in the car, 
We raced to the hospital, which luckily was right down the street from our house, about two miles away. We got there, went to the emergency room. Um, they rushed us back into the ER, talked with the docs. And at that point, they, they did an um, x-ray, they did a chest x-ray. And they were thinking maybe pneumonia, right? They took her temperature mm -hmm. and she was hypothermic. She was about 95 and a half degrees, which I guess hype being hypothermic is a lot worse than, or hyperthermic is being a lot worse than um, having a fever. So mm -hmm. um, they didn't really know what to do. Like they said, they were thinking pneumonia, but they wanted to get her transferred to the children's hospital. It was kind of like red flag number one. They called an ambulance. <clears throat> and the ambulance came in, um, lights and sirens on, took her, got her in the back. And then um, lights and sirens on through rush hour traffic at 8 a.m. on 35. I've ever been down 35 between Round Rock and Austin um, at 8 a.m. You know what that's like. And so I think they got there in about 16 minutes um, and got into the hospital. Um, we saw a bunch of doctors. I call it the B team, right? Um, we saw the interns and the folks who were there. Not that they were bad, just they weren't the best. And mm -hmm. then... And they said, we're going to order a CT just to be on the safe side. We don't think it's going to show anything. Uh, ordered the CT and it showed a tennis ball sized tumor um, in the mm -hmm. front left of Scout's brain. And um, at that point, we went from the B team to the All-Stars and the chief of medicine, chief of surgery and uh, chief, uh, chief operating officer, I believe, all came into the room and talked. And they said, you're going to go talk with a surgeon. She needs brain surgery. And so... I mean, it just totally rocked our world. Um, wow. He had brain surgery that night. And then we had a, uh, a couple rough weeks in the hospital right then. After the first couple of weeks, she woke up from surgery. They kept her sedated for a little while. And um, while she was in the hospital, she was paralyzed from um, basically the neck down. She couldn't move her arms, couldn't move her legs, couldn't sit up. Um, that slowly mm -hmm. got better. And they realized what had happened is she had a stroke or uh, a seizure, I apologize, because of the tumor that was there. And it caused a lot of disruption in her body. But um, removing the tumor allowed that pressure that was on her brain, everything to subside. And um, so she slowly got better. Um, lots of physical therapy those first couple of weeks. Um, there was a time she couldn't swallow. And so she mm -hmm. was having to be on a liquid diet. So we really didn't know what the future was going to well. They'd also told us not to look up anything about what they were going to tell us because it was a, a grade four glioma. Um, and they don't do stages because every stage of a brain cancer is um, a stage four, but they do grades. And hers was the highest grade in a really bad type of brain tumor, right? One that mm. we knew was cancerous or one they knew that could spread. Um, and so those weren't any words that we wanted to hear. And man, it was just a really, really rough journey that happened. We spent about three weeks in the hospital uh, until she was discharged to come home. And at that time, we still didn't have an update on uh, what was going on with her or what the um, treatment was. So um, we went home. Uh, we had an appointment scheduled with a, a radiologist to go and get it set up for radiation because that was kind of the first thing that they realized they wanted to do. Um, that involved an MRI and the MRI showed that the tumor had returned. And so, mm. um, she went in for brain surgery number two and, um, they took it out and the tumor was the same size. And this was about a month after the first surgery. So, um, did surgery number two went and, 
um, came back and said that that was also cancerous, that there was no difference between that and the first tumor. That's when mm -hmm. they diagnosed her with a glioblastoma. Um, if you're familiar with John McCain, and um, that's the same um, type of cancer that he had when he passed away. Mm -hmm. um, it's a fast-growing, aggressive uh, brain cancer. So at that point, they knew they couldn't wait and do radiation anymore, so they got her started on chemotherapy. Um, you know, it's hard to hear that when you have a one-and-a-half-year-old uh, getting into the words of, like, chemotherapy and cancer, right? Mm -hmm. That's not a normal thing for a parent to experience. Mm -hmm. um, she went through treatment for about um, 10 months in Austin, Texas. And um, through that time, we, you know, my wife stopped working. Um, she was the girls athletic coordinator at a middle school in Georgetown school district. Um, at that time I was an assistant principal, um, and she stopped working completely and went in and, um, took care of our daughter. Right. And, um, completely rocked our world. Cause here we were living comfortably on, you know, two, um, working adult incomes and all of a sudden mm -hmm. it dropped down to one. Um, and that was, that was definitely, uh, definitely a challenge. Um, and the other part was, um, at the middle of the time while she was in chemo, um, I decided that I didn't want to stay at the school I was at, but I wanted to stay in the district, but I wanted to try to advance, um, and move up to a high school and be an assistant principal there. So, um, I applied for a job and, um, got that job hmm. and it was kind of like our first foray into everything was realizing, um, that like God was there through us through everything. God wow. helped us um, with the finances piece, right? And we had yeah. an amazing group of friends that wrapped us up and formed fundraisers. And um, back then it was you caring, but now GoFundMe accounts mm -hmm. um, and helped us get through those times. Um, throughout Scout's journey, her pre-insurance bill is somewhere in the um, upward $3 million range. Mm. Wow. And <laughs> thank God for insurance, but also, um, there were things that were, you know, were out of network that we had to cover the cost. And, mm. um, the question should never be to any parent, how are you going to pay for, um, any of your, how are you going to pay to save your kid's life? Right. Mm. Um, and that was, uh, that was something that we were faced with, but thankfully we had people in our life that stepped up and, um, got us through that. And also my school district that we had. Um, really, really just um, completely um, wrapped us up and went above and beyond um, to provide for a family when that was not their um, role and they didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, kind of continuing on, she went through um, at some point in there, I think it was about month eight or nine, um, she had had another MRI and they'd found that there was some recurrence of the tumor. Um, so they, um, decided to do a brain surgery number three. Um, and every time they're doing a brain surgery, they're making about a 10 inch half moon incision on the left hand side of her head to go and, um, go and remove part of that tumor. So they take part of her skull off, do what they need to do and then put it back on and sew it back up. Um, and so brain surgery three, do it. And we were expecting the worst because we had thought if, it comes back that this tumor is back, even with chemotherapy, like there's nothing else we can do. Right. And I had kind of spiraled to some dark places that I didn't need to go. Um, and our doctor comes running in and she says, it's not a tumor. Uh, it's scar tissue. 
She said every indication was going to be a tumor, but it was just star tissue. Wow. Right? Mm. And, and I'm getting goosebumps right now talking about it, but <laughs> there's no, um, there is no earthly explanation. And to this day, when doctors hear Gosh. that, they're like, yeah, we know what that was. Right. That's incredible. Um, incredible. And so it was at that point, um, we did realize though, that, um, chemo wasn't going to continue to be the answer. And so, um, looked into the next step for Scout and where that was going to be. And we got connected with St. Jude um, Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. So flew up to St. Jude. Um, they did an experimental drug that she was on for two months um, called Entrectinib. It didn't work. Um, so that's when they did brain surgery number four. And then uh, about a week later, did brain surgery number five. Um, after that, they did 30 rounds of radiation. Um and that took her into about year four. Um, and then we finished at St. Jude, headed home. Um, that was in 2019, 2020. And then March 2020 happened and COVID hit. And um, we were at home, right? Um, mm. And it was the first time in my time with Scout that I got to spend the amount of time that my wife had spent with her. But it was amazing to get to be there. So after yeah. she went through all the surgeries and she went through the radiation, um, she got moved to three month scans. So there was no treatment that she needed to do just to have um, scans. And um, she's been moved since that point in 2020. Um, she's moved to now. Um, she's at six month scans. So twice a year, she goes and gets a scan. Mm -hmm. um, the likelihood of this cancer recurring is high, but Scout is defying the odds and is kind of wow. the anomaly in the brain cancer world um, that really is just um, really just doing awesome. Wow. It's so cool to see the Lord move in some crazy ways through this, but also the timing of it as well. You know, I'm sure there were some excruciating points being a father in that situation or just your family in general of not knowing what's next and the Lord coming through in ways that even the doctors couldn't explain. Um, would love for you to just talk through what your personal faith looked like in that journey through the ups and the downs, through the shock um, through the joys of the Lord coming through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say in the beginning, <laughs> my faith was not where it needed to be. Um, whenever we had, um, her initial, her initial diagnosis, um, life was easy, right? I talked about it being mundane, but life was mm. simple. We had great jobs. We had great kids. We had a nice house. We had money. We had cars. We did the things we needed to do. We weren't rich, but man, we, we had a really good life. And, um, it was really easy to get complacent and, um, not need to be reliant on God. And the beginning was so hard because I, I knew what God was trying to tell us and I knew what I needed from God. And I also knew that God had a story right written for scout, but I didn't want to believe it. Hmm. And it's like my, my heart and my mind were on two different places. And it took me about 10 to 12 months to try to get into that mindset um, and be able to get on that same page and knowing that like God doesn't promise us a fruitful life on earth, right? God mm. says that, yes, I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to take care of your daughter, but it's not, it doesn't have to be here. Um, and mm. it wasn't until that point that um, I became okay with everything because it made me start realizing that I would, if Scout died, she was going to be a better place because she wasn't going to be suffering. Right. She wasn't going to be, and I would miss her like crazy. But yeah. um, 
that promise was going to be fulfilled, whether it was here on earth or it was in heaven. And that's a really challenging um, perspective to get to. But at the same time, that's, that was the biggest comfort that I had the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. That eternal perspective of knowing that oh, the Lord is sovereign, that sovereignty piece in the whole situation yeah. and, and coming you know, into submission of that. There were two, two big things that um, kind of kept me through and I'll share the Bucks connection with the second one. But the first one was with, um, we made some wristbands and um, actually some friends of ours did and they sent them out to a group uh, we've got called Scouts Army on Facebook. And it was initially just people who wanted to learn, you know, what was happening in Scouts life and um, we share updates about her and everything. And now that group has grown. I think we're at 6,800 people in the group mm. on Facebook. Wow. Um, and wow. that's become our a way that we can um, share our testimony and share our faith in God. Yeah. Um, but one of the things, they made the wristband and it said uh, Exodus 14, 14, right? Uh, it says, be calm and the Lord will fight for you. And that be calm, be still peace is so hard, right? Like it's <laughs> not natural. Um, mm. I want to fight my own battle. And then being humbled and taken down a step and realizing that that's not my job. And that's not my role. Um, that's God's role um, yeah. because he was her daddy first. Right. Mm. Um, so and good. that's, that's really hard. Um, my second one was um, actually our pledge verse. And I can remember back then reading like a pledge verse is supposed to be one verse. Why is ours three? Right. And it was James <laughs> one, two, three, four, consider it true joy. My brothers want to test your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you can be maturing, completing your faith, not liking anything. And, that got ingrained to me back then. And I remember hating every minute of having them memorize this verse. And then looking back now and saying, I am so thankful that I had that verse to cling to. Cause I think I probably said it every single morning that mm -hmm. I looked in the mirror and said like, God, like you are testing my faith, but what in the world do I need to learn? I feel like, I feel like the word's finished. Right. Um, yeah. and just learning that it really wasn't. So that was a really, uh, really impactful thing for yeah. me too. Yeah, that's great. We'd love to ask how how is that process of coming to grips with those realities? Like the Lord's going to fight this battle for me, and that my faith is being tested and also grown through this perseverance. What did that process look like? Oh man, I don't think we ever have control, right? But we have that illusion of control, um, and that, like I talked about earlier, of not not needing God. Right. But then you get to the point in your life where you're like, you, um, quote unquote, need him. Right. But in reality, mm -hmm. you needed him all along. Um, but man, it was freeing whenever um, I realized that it wasn't me and it wasn't, I didn't have to have all the answers and I didn't have to be the one that um, provided every solution to every problem. Mm -hmm. um, that, God was there and he had the answers and they were already written, right? That the yeah. future was there and it was already written. And my job was to be supportive and my job was to um, do the best that I could do and make sure that, you know, I provided for my family um, and do the things that I needed to do through that process. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I know you mentioned the Bucks connection earlier. Um, would love to just hear what that connection with your Bucks brothers even after college and, and brothers of other chapters had on you along the way. Yeah. So starting back in, um, we changed churches whenever I was in elementary school, when we started going to a new church and, um, there was a 
young white haired guy named David Daniels. And he was the college pastor at First Evangelical Free Church in Austin. And I had no idea about David Daniels back then um, being a part of Bucks until we got our pledge book and I saw his name in it. And I was like, holy cow, uh, he was in Bucks. Like, that's so cool, right? Um, when there is a, the guy I bought my first car from, he was in Bucks and one of the founding fathers of Bucks, Stuart Nolly. Uh, and then Lawrence Hancox was the guy who wrote the Bucks song. Um, and he was our worship pastor at the church. Oh, cool. And, being around those men, right? There was an obvious, um, there's a reason that God put us in that church. And I think the connection and then feeling that connection my entire life to the organization, even if it hadn't been on the forefront, like there was just still that in the background mm. um, and it shaped and the poured into me um, my whole life. Um, and then I think the other piece, um, I've had guys in my life and mainly guys from my cell group while I was in college be able to look me in the eye through these hard times that I was going through and ask me straight up, are you doing what you're doing for your family? Or are you doing it for yourself? Mm. Um, and mm. when you, when you get asked that by, you know, someone you trust and someone you care about, um, it makes you evaluate it a little bit differently, um, and really stop and pause. So I'm grateful for those men in my life. Yeah, that's incredible. And in our, in our identity statement, it says we're a lifelong brotherhood of committed Christian men. And I think you and your story embodies that, that those lifelong connections that were beyond your collegiate experience of committed Christian men that came alongside you and lifted you up when you couldn't hold yourself up in some cases. So thanks for sharing that. That's so encouraging to hear. Lastly, just a perspective here on your story in terms of leadership, you know, the father position is the leader of the household, um, of the family as the Lord's ordained it. So we'd love to just hear about the importance of family in this situation and the role that you had to play um, through all the ups and downs of this. Yeah. So every day, um, every single situation that happens to you, I think, is um, what's molding you into the man and more importantly, the father um, that you become. My son and my daughter watch everything that I do um, to the point that if I if I spit, then I catch my kids trying to spit just like me um, into the grass, right? But it's so much deeper than that because there's so many things and everything I do um, is going to um, have an impact on how um, I serve that role in my family. And so if I'm um, having a thought that's impure, if I'm doing something that I should don't need to be doing, um, that's going to have an impact on what I do with my kids. And if I'm wanting to go hang out with my friends, that's taking time away to be with my family. There's a time and a place for that. But mm. man, it's really made me realize that like my lasting legacy that I have and the most important thing I have on this earth is my family, right? Mm. And it's us four that make um, make what we have great. And I hate to say it, but like it, it almost took our life and realizing that Scout's life could have an endpoint that I was going to have to realize to make us understand the way that we could love one another. And it's really taught our family uh, about balance and mm. knowing what we needed to do to find a balance that would work for us. I've got a boss at work that um, will tell me every single time, like, you better not go to an event or you better not miss one of your kids' events for something at work. Right. Wow. Um, like family first is a hundred percent like the motto and it's easier when you're in a school district, but 
Um, living that is hard. I mean, making that a priority, but we've really made a point to make sure that like our kids come first. My wife stepped mm -hmm. down from her job as a middle school. She recently went back to work as an elementary PE teacher and um, she's at the kids' school and she gets to see them every single day and be a part of their mm -hmm. life, gets to be friends with their teachers. I work in the school district. One of my reasons that I work here is I want to create the best environment that my kids are going to get to go to. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. a selfish piece, right? But if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for everybody else too. Right, right. It's um, a great perspective. Yeah. That's a great perspective. Thanks for sharing on that. And that kind of segues me into our audience questions I have for you. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions from the audience. Um, and number one is from a collegiate student, collegiate Bucks member perspective, what steps should they take now to prepare for marriage and fatherhood in the future? Man, find a mentor. It's not weird. Just stop and find someone who's older than you that's been through, they don't have to have been through everything, but that's been through some of the stuff, whether it's marriage and you're not married yet, or if you find someone who's, you know, where you would like to be with a career aspiration, but find a mentor, someone who's a dad and who's doing it well and start just being around them. You don't have to ask them questions. It doesn't have to be formal, but just make them part of your life. I think mm -hmm. if you can spend time with folks that are different than yourselves, that's how you're going to grow. Because if you're around people that are just like you, it will never change. Mm -hmm. um, that's good. And so um, make sure you get a mentor and uh, read, read the Bible read books by Christian and non-Christian authors, read books on leadership, because when you're a dad or when you're a husband or when you're a manager or when you are an employee, they're all exactly the same. You're going to be leading something just in a different way. But the more you can work on your leadership skills and understanding about yourself is going to change and it's going to open up doors for you that probably wouldn't have been there before. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Leads me to my next question. This is more on a, on a peer level. What role does transparency with others have in processing difficult situations? And how does one steward that well with their peers? Man, transparency is hard, isn't it? Um, mm, yes. It's scary sometimes too. Uh, I think there's a big piece about trust. I'm a very guarded person. And I say that we, we share our life with 6,800 people on a Facebook page and there's pictures and thoughts and emotions, but there are some deeper things that I keep hidden. And I've got a few people in my life that I can share those truly, truly, um, deep things because I'm not afraid of what they're going to think about me, their judgment or the impact that it's going to have. There's gotta be people in your life that you're not afraid to be 100% transparent with and have the hard conversations and take their advice. And I think that ties in earlier to talking about the mentor, right? If you have someone that you can trust, that's going to help you grow. And that when you come up with that thing that you're struggling with, whatever it is, right? Because everybody's going to have something different in their life. There's no one I know that has said, yep, I don't have any hurdles. Life is good, smooth sailing, and mm -hmm. we're happy as can be, right? But finding the people that you can have those hard conversations with and then knowing that they're going to be there for you no matter what without judgment. I mean, it's mm -hmm. tough to find that person. You'll go through a couple of them before you do probably. I know I did. Um, but mm -hmm. it's really important to be honest and to continue that conversation and not let it just be like a one-time thing. It doesn't have to be 
people you work with. It doesn't have to be people you go to church with. It can be a totally different idea for every single person, but having that person to continue, um, that accountability with is just so huge. Um, it's easy when you're a cell group, right? You have these six or seven guys that's built in here. It's expected. And everybody is there and the ground rules are set. The guidelines are in place and you know what you're supposed Mm -hmm. to talk about, man, you leave college and all of a sudden, like, it's a lot easier to not have to do anything. I liked back whenever, uh, you know, when I was an officer in Bucks, we couldn't drink. I turned 21 and had a dry 21st birthday. All my friends thought that was just completely insane. <laughs> and I was like, no, that's what you do, right? And when that expectation was there, it's yeah. never going to be there the rest of my life, right? There's nothing that I'm a part of now that's going to say you're restricted from doing that. That's right. just one of those examples, right? What would you say to the one that recently graduated in the last two years or so? What would you say to them um, in this environment where they don't have the structure that they had in and bucks in their collegiate experience of the cell groups, of the chapter meetings, of the brothers always being around. How can they cultivate those spaces in their lives? Oh man. Yeah. Get involved with your church a hundred percent. Right. Um, and I found church, some churches are really good about wanting to have small groups and get that together. Other churches, um, that their focus is more on, um, service in um, different ways and not necessarily a small group, but if your church doesn't have that, then find a group of people who you can align with and meet regularly. Um, I've got a group of guys mm-hmm. that we meet at least every other week and spend time with one another. Some of the times it's a lighthearted conversation, just talking about work, talking about families. Other times there's laughter, and the, but then right after that there's tears um, because there are things going on and we've talked to each other through different things. But it's critical to have your group of guys to be a part of. Um, and there's it's great to be involved with a small group that has um, – guys and girls together. But when you can have those group of guys, it takes a layer of that away. And so I a hundred percent say get involved um, with a small group of guys of men that you can trust. That's great. That's great. We're going to move on to the last and final um, section here. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you that we ask every guest in every episode. So um, are you ready? Ready for those questions? Ready, ready. Awesome. What would you go back and tell your freshman, sophomore self in college? That there are a lot of fish in the sea. <laughs> I had a lot of um, trouble, like I said, getting through that breakup, and we got back together again. And there, man, just totally wrecked my world. Went through depression and went through things that I didn't need to be a part of, and just I didn't really know who I was. But man, there are so many amazing people, and I met my wife through getting to learn of that stuff about myself. And I mean, I couldn't be happier, but just knowing that like, you probably aren't going to marry the first person you date or the (laughs) third or the fifth or the seventh. And that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. Not to take anything too seriously those first couple of years because you're learning a lot. Sure. What's one of the best pieces of leadership advice that you've received? Put people first. Your people are going to be the most important thing. In education, it's easy, right? We spend 90% of our budget on um, staffing. But our entire time of being a leader is all about working with people. And so if you put your people that you lead first, they're going to see that and they're going to work harder for you and they're going to work harder for the whatever organization that's part of. Yeah. And so as a leader, if you can put their priorities ahead of your own and make sure that they're taken care of, that's going to completely change the group that you're part of. That's great. That's great. 
What is a habit, person, or show, or maybe something else that has your attention currently, and why? I used to be a high school football coach, and I swear at least once a day I think about Eric Taylor, and as he was the head football coach for the Dillon Panthers and later on for the East Dillon Lions, and some of the things that he say, but really just about his leadership qualities that he played in. I know it's fictional, um, but I've always said, like, if he became a head coach, I'd quit what I was doing right now. <laughs> I can work for him. Uh, or just look at taking something and being able to see the problem and being able to constantly overcome adversity in a different way is so big. We had a we had a navy blue and yellow sign on our door at the hospital that I brought with me to every single hospital room we went to. It's like clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't um, lose. Come on. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, yeah. That's yep. awesome. And last one here. So this one's the hardest one that I ask uh, each guest. So get ready for this one. Absolutely. One person in the past or present that you could have a meal with, who would that be? And what would you talk about? So I'd really like to have a meal with George W. Bush, because when I look at his presidency and how um, his leadership carried us through 9-11, um, I think it would mm. be absolutely incredible to watch the change that our country went through during his time in office and how he guided that. I mean, you look at the internet and the changes in technology and everything that came about with social media and I mm -hmm. mean, just it completely rocked our world. And I would love to hear his perspective and his take on all those things. That's great. And lastly, any resources you would like to share for our listeners, whether it be personal or there'd be also resources to support those who are suffering under the same things that you've had to suffer through, um, anything like that. Yeah. I can't mention it enough, but get involved with a group of people who care about you and love you. We've been fortunate now, like I mentioned earlier about St. Jude. We absolutely love St. Jude. St. Jude takes the um, stress of financial burden away from a family. So whenever any child goes for cancer treatment at St. Jude, it's 100% free. And so we give to St. Jude monthly. We participate in fundraising activities for them throughout the year. If you don't have an organization that you already give to, I would recommend doing something. It connects you to something that's bigger than yourself and makes you mm -hmm. um, feel like you're a part of that group. And then also, if you're not in church and you're not going to church every Sunday, make sure you're there. There's nothing more important than even if you don't want to go, get yourself there um, mm -hmm. every single Sunday. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Bretton, we are so honored to have you on the show sharing this incredible story. And we're also just thrilled to hear of Scout's progress um, and good health as of now as well. And we'll continue to hold you and your family um, in our prayers as an organization moving forward. So thank you for just giving a little bit of your time here today. Thank you. Awesome. Well, as we close, audience, thank you for joining us once again on this journey of leadership. We hope that this episode encouraged you and we will see you on the next one. Hey there, it's Kason again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Core Leadership Podcast. 
I want to take this last moment, as always, to talk about Bucks and who we are. We are a lifelong brotherhood of committed Christian men seeking the bonds of brotherhood and unity in Christ through the avenue of a social fraternity on a college campus. Our founding verse is Psalm 133.1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. To find out more about Bucks, information on joining or founding a chapter on your campus, go to byx.org. You can keep up with us on social media at Beta Upsilon Chi on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next one.